Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. Uh, I'm also one of the pastors here. Wasn't that a great worship set? And I just loved getting to sing. Um, you know, I was, uh, I already had my mic on uh, to come up to preach. And then with that last chorus, glory to his name, I was like, got to turn my mic off. I've got to sing this one. I don't want everybody to hear me, but I've, I've got to sing this one. Um, and praise God. I don't know how you experienced that um, time of of David taking us through spiritual breathing. I know as I was asking God to examine me, to show me if there was anything in my heart that he wanted me to confess, God just pointed out to me that I've been pretty impatient and critical recently, uh, which if you've heard me uh, talk about sins I struggle with, that's probably not, not news to you that I struggle with that, but um, God was just reminding me that you know this week I've been critical and, 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 uh, and too quick to too quick to be harsh with my, my family, and, um, and so I just felt the Lord telling me to give that to him, and, and I'm so thankful with whatever it is that God gave you in that moment, whatever he pointed out to you that was that thing that you know he, he wants you to change, he wants, you to help, he wants to help you change. I hope you also know the Holy Spirit, he does two things. He doesn't just point out our sin so we recognize it. He comes into us to empower us so that we can actually change. And so I'm so thankful that the Lord, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that he points out my sin because he also lives inside of me to help me turn from my sin. Amen? If it wasn't for that, then pointing out my sin would just make me feel more like a failure and more guilty. But because he also has applied the blood, he's forgiven me. And he's given me the spirit so that I can actually change. So, so praise God for that. And thank you, David, for leading us in that time. Well, um, there was a, a time a number of years ago, probably about 10, 15 years ago, where I was living overseas. I was living in China. And uh, Lindsay and I and a couple friends, we were trying to go to this village. It was kind of in the, the middle of this big rural area. It's kind of like you go to the, this podunk town, and then, and then the village that we're trying to get to is like up on a mountain up there from the podunk town. And so uh, we'd heard there was this group of people that were there that were in need, and we were trying to go to figure out there was some way we could serve them or encourage them or, or God would use us somehow. And so it's me and Lindsay and the two other friends. And, uh, and so we get to the, the town, maybe a town of a, a few thousand people kind of in, in the valley in this hill. And we start asking people, we, we don't know where this, where this city is. We don't know where this village is. And, uh, and it's up these windy roads and stuff. And so we start asking people kind of on the side of the road and then shops and stuff like that. You know, uh, this is before GPS and we couldn't even get a cell phone signal in this area, it was so remote. And so we start asking people, hey, have you heard of such and such a village? And like, oh yeah, I have, or you know, ah, maybe I've heard of it, and okay, I could take you there. And we're trying to find people that could give us a ride uh, up the mountain to, to get to this village. And there were a lot of people that were willing to take us. There was kind of this group of people, and like, yeah, if you, if you give me however much money, yeah, I'll, I'll take you up to, to that village. And um, so we have a lot of options, and we didn't really know who to choose. Like, we, they're all kind of the same. They all seem to act like they think they, or at least want us to think that they, they know where we're trying to, to get to. Um, but we, we picked one of them, and so we, we get in his little kind of junky, run-down, like little uh, minivan type of deal, 
and we're going up this uh, we're going up this road, and it's like winding, and there's cliffs on on the side, and so there's points where there's a switchback. And Lindsay's laughing because I think you remember this. Like uh, there's switchbacks where you just kind of look over and you're like, oh my gosh, it's right down the the mountain. And about halfway up the mountain, it kind of occurred to me, this guy could totally be kidnapping us. Like I, I we've never met we've only this, met this person one time. We have no idea who this person is. Uh, we kind of speak Chinese, but our Chinese wasn't that great at that point. But we have no idea this guy could just be kidnapping us or taking us to wherever, or, or he could be doing anything he wanted, and we would have no clue. We'd be completely helpless, right? Uh, and that's a, that's a very helpless feeling to have. And the reason that I say this is because for those of you that are here that are followers of Jesus Christ, that you're following Jesus, you're disciples of Jesus Christ. As you're following Jesus, there are lots of people, there are lots and lots of people who claim to be able to be a guide for you to help you as you follow Jesus, to show you the way. Maybe if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe if you're interested, you're seeking for, for spiritual truth, and you don't know if that's in Jesus or that's in, in some other religion or some other philosophy, and, and still the same for you. You're try, there's lots of people who are guides, or at least would say that they are guides, say, hey, I can, you want to understand what life is about. You want to understand the truth. I can help you. Listen to me. Follow me. And just like with, with me and Lindsay and our friends going up that mountain in China, if you pick the wrong guide, you could get kidnapped. You could get misled. You could fall off a cliff, right? There could be bad consequences. And as you follow Jesus or as you seek to follow Jesus or as you look at the faith that your parents have and think, well, I've always kind of, I've always kind of just assumed or they've assumed that this is my faith, but I don't know if it's really my faith, it's their faith. I don't know if when I get older I'm going to keep following this. As you seek for truth, it's very important that you know how to tell between good guides and bad guides. Guides that are gonna take you in the right direction and guides that are gonna lead you astray. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about, Jesus is, is telling us, what, how do we tell between, as we follow Jesus, good guides that we should follow and bad guides that we should avoid? So turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. In Matthew chapter seven, we're gonna see three things or really two things and one way we're going to apply it. We're looking at Matthew 7, verses 15 through 20. And what we're going to see in Matthew 7 is, is three things. First, we're going to see the danger of false teachers or false guides. Secondly, we're going to see how to identify false guides. And then thirdly, we're going to, take what Jesus is teaching us here and then apply it to something that, you know, maybe for, I know for many of you and, and probably for a, a lot of you too, uh, is a very, is something that you have experience with and you might feel the need for, which is how do we apply what Jesus is teaching us here in this passage to avoid abusive pastors, okay? A little bit of a meaty topic. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into it. This is, um, this is Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20. This is what he says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, 
but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Okay, well, what is Jesus talking about here? Well, as we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is telling us, he's talking to us about what does it look like to follow the ways of the kingdom of God? What does it look like to follow Jesus, to live a life where he is on the throne of your life and you submit every aspect of your life to him and, and obey him and receive his blessing in every area of your life? And, and Jesus says, uh, Jesus, in the passage that Matt preached on a couple weeks ago, Jesus described this kingdom way, this way of following Jesus as the narrow way. He says, wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way, narrow is the gate and hard is the way that leads to life. And so following Jesus is difficult, it's countercultural. You know, if you look back at the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, you know, we tend to think, well, hey, success in life, living the good life is about being powerful, it's about being successful, it's about being able to kind of grab the bull by the horns and take what you want out of life. But Jesus says, no, it's the meek that inherit the earth. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. We think when somebody offends me, well, I have to stand up for my honor. I've got to come right back at them, let them know they can't mess with me. But Jesus says, if somebody slaps you on the one cheek, turn and let them slap you on the other cheek too. So it's very countercultural. It's also difficult. Jesus is telling us it's not enough just to not commit the, the big obvious sins. He wants a heart. Not only does he want us to not cheat on our spouse, he wants us to have a heart that is devoted to our spouse and avoids lust. Not only is it enough, it's not enough just to not murder, he wants us to have a heart that actually loves people, including our enemies. And so as we're walking down this path, this narrow way, that's not popular and that's difficult many times, he tells us there's a danger that we're gonna face. And that's that there's gonna be what he calls these false prophets that are going to try to lead us off the narrow way, away from the narrow path and onto the wide road that leads to destruction. Okay, so if we're gonna walk on this path, we better know how to identify them. Well, first we're gonna see the danger of these false prophets. Well, the word, the word prophet, we tend to think of a prophet like you can predict the score to the football game or like, you know, you know if it's gonna rain next week or, or something like that. Oh, it's so prophetic. But in, in the Bible, that sometimes happens. Sometimes prophets can predict things that are happening in the future, but that's really not the main thing that a prophet does. In the Bible, a prophet is not so much a foreteller, you know, this is gonna be the score of the game or it's gonna snow tomorrow or whatever, the, the prophet is not so much a, for, a for, foreteller, but a forth-teller. In other words, a prophet's, job is not, a prophet's job is to receive a word from God and then to communicate God's message to God's people. And sometimes that's about something to happen in the future. But think about it, for example, um, John the Baptist was considered a prophet. He wasn't coming around saying, you know, what was going to happen a couple of weeks from now. He, he was coming and, and preaching the kingdom and saying, repent, right? And Jesus was considered a prophet. 
And yeah, Jesus, he predicted the future sometimes. He said he was going to die and rise again. But the main thing Jesus was doing is what we see in Matthew 5 through 7. He's teaching people. So when we think about a prophet, really we're thinking about what today we might use the word for a preacher or, or a teacher when we think about a prophet. Well, Jesus says to beware of false prophets or false teachers. This word in the Greek, the false prophet, is pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo-prophetes. Pseudo is a word you might have heard before, like a pseudonym is a fake name that you use if you're writing. Um, pseudo means something that, that's fake. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's not so much just saying that these are prophets who say things that aren't true, although false prophets often do say things that aren't true. What he's saying is this person is a fake prophet. They're a fake teacher. They come to you and they claim to say, hey, I know what God wants to tell you and listen to me and I can show you what God is like and what God says, but they're fake. They're not really speaking God's words. God didn't really send them. They're not really God's messenger, okay? So these false prophets or these fake teachers, what are they like? Well, it says in verse 15, it says that they, they come to you in sheep's clothing, so they look like the real thing. And Jesus often uses this metaphor of we are his flock of sheep. We're his sheep. He's our shepherd, right? And he says that these, these fake teachers, they, they come into the flock, they come into the church, and they, they look like they're, they're legit. They look like they're genuine disciples of Jesus from the outside. But it says, inwardly, they are ravenous wolves, that they're actually extremely dangerous. And if you follow them, if you expose yourself to them, they're not going to lead you towards life. They're going to devour you. They're going to they're hurt you. Okay, so these are the, these are the false prophets or the, fake, or, or the fake teachers. Well, if Jesus is telling us this is a danger that we're going to encounter people like this, who you might think, kind of looking at him from a distance or the first time you meet him, you know, this is somebody I can really learn from. This is somebody that can teach me a lot about what it looks like to be a Christian. But actually, they're not there to help you, they're there to hurt you. If that's really a danger that Jesus says you and I are going to face, how are we going to be able to tell? How are we going to be able to look at the, the sheep's clothing and see through the sheep's clothing to the wolf that's on the inside? Well, that's what Jesus tells us in, in verses 16 and then the rest of this passage. And he basically tells us that there's two ways, there's two ways basically that you can tell that somebody is a fake teacher a fake prophet. Okay, the, the first way is pretty obvious. The first way is kind of intuitive. You know, Jesus is teaching this, this stuff about the narrow way, about this, this way that requires us to, to deny ourselves, to do unto others as we would want them to do unto us, that, that calls us to live sacrificially and generously, that calls us to lay down everything and seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Um, and so that's what Jesus is teaching us. He's telling us that's what it looks like for us to walk on the narrow way to follow Jesus and his kingdom. So obviously, if somebody comes and tells us something different from what Jesus has said, well, they're, they're a false prophet, right? Because they're literally telling us to do something that Jesus is telling us not to do. 
or they're telling us not to do something that Jesus is telling us to do, or they're telling us something about Jesus that isn't really true. So if they're contradicting the message, if they're saying, for example, you know, Jesus is great, I believe in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, we're really the same, but Jesus is really just a good teacher. That's not who Jesus says he is. He says he's the Lord who's going to judge people at the end of time, right? Um, you know, m- maybe they would say, maybe they even have good theology. Maybe they'd even be able to tell you about the Trinity and about, you know, Jesus and, and about Jesus being God and man at the same time and about Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the dead. Maybe they have some of that theology right, but maybe they're not teaching you to walk on the narrow way. Because they, they, might be, they might know the right things, they might even believe the right things, but if they're teaching you, you don't have to be poor in spirit, you don't have to be meek, you don't have to be a peacemaker, you don't have to store up your treasure in heaven, you don't have to seek God and his righteousness. If they're, if they're teaching you good theology, but not, but not teaching you to walk in this narrow way, this countercultural way of self-denial and giving of yourself to others for God's glory, if they're not teaching you to walk on the narrow way, if they're teaching you to be arrogant or teaching you that you're better than everybody else or something like that, well, then they're also a false teacher because Jesus is telling us not only who he is, but he's telling us to walk on the narrow way. Okay, that's the first way. If somebody's contradicting what Jesus is saying, then they're a false teacher. The second way, and it's the way that, that Jesus spends the most time on, so I'm gonna spend the most time on it too, is the first way is they're not teaching the narrow way. The second way is they're not walking the narrow way themselves. They themselves Maybe they're even teaching about the Sermon on the Mount, but they're not walking on the narrow way themselves. This is what Jesus is talking about when he talks about these fruits. He says, you will recognize them by the fact that they went to seminary. That's not what he says. You'll recognize them because they're the Pope. That's not what he says. You'll recognize them because They have all the right theology, no. He says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. And he uses this metaphor of, he says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or are figs gathered from thistles? And and so everybody in Jesus' time would have known that there was this, uh, so part of their economy at the time, uh, grapes were a big part of it, okay? They used grapes to eat and also to make wine and stuff. And so there uh, there was this berry called the buckthorn. It was a plant called the buckthorn. And the buckthorn was this thorny uh, stem that had these little black uh, berry type of things that were actually poisonous. It was poisonous berries that were on this buckthorn tree. Now, if I'm looking at it from like uh, fr- from here to like where where um, like where where Daniel Edwin is, or kind of this far away, and I'm looking at a at a buckthorn tree. It looks, those, those poisonous berries, those poisonous buckthorn berries, they, they kind of look like grapes, right? But if I get closer and I try to grab one, I'm going to get poked. And if I take the grapes and try to eat them or try to make wine out of them, I'm going to get poisoned, right? In the same way, he talks about, you know, um, grapes are not gathered from, uh, from, from thorns and also uh, 
figs are not gathered from thistles. There was another type of, of plant that uh, it, was, it was a thistle. A thistle is kind of like this um, kind of this kind of prickly little bush that has a nub on it that has this kind of prickly little bulbous flower on, on the top of it. And so from the distance, again, if you're, if you're standing pretty far off, it looks a lot like a fig. That's kind of the way figs look. It's the same color. It's about the same size. But again, you get close and you try to pick one and put it in your mouth, you're going to get hurt, right? So what Jesus is saying is you can tell, you can tell the tree by what comes out of it. You can tell the tree by the fruit. You can tell somebody's a false teacher by what is coming out of them. Okay, if, if, I see a fi- if I see a tree, how can I tell if it's a fig tree? Figs are coming out of it, right? So how can I tell if somebody is a genuine teacher that can help me as I'm seeking to walk along the narrow path and follow Jesus? Well, I'll be able to see in them the fruit or the characteristics of somebody who themselves is walking the narrow way. Does that make sense? So essentially what this is saying is, what Jesus is saying is that when you look at somebody, he wants us to to take the characteristics and the teachings that he describes in the Sermon on the Mount, and as we're looking at somebody and saying, hey, is this person, they claim to be able to help me, is this person a genuine teacher or are they a false teacher? Well, what fruit do you see in their life? Do you see somebody who's poor in spirit? Do you see somebody who is meek? Do you see somebody who is hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Do you see somebody who's merciful? When you, when you get to know this teacher, do you see that? And then regardless of what they teach, do you see that fruit in their life? Are they somebody that when people insult them, they can turn the other cheek and actually speak graciously and kindly to the people that are insulting them? Are they storing up treasure in heaven by serving the poor and serving the needy? Or are they just getting rich themselves? Is their life marked by prayer like Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter six? regularly and personally and privately coming before the Father and talking to him, desiring that his will would be done, that his kingdom would come? Are they like Jesus talks about in Matthew 7? Are are they somebody who is quick to see the fault in their own life and repent and apologize for it and slow and cautious to point out faults in others? Or are they somebody who's always pointing out faults in others, but very resistant when it comes to people challenging them on their own faults and on their own flaws? What type of fruit do you see in their life? Jesus is telling us, you want to know how to tell a false prophet from a true prophet, that's how. You look at the fruit to tell what type of tree it is, and you look at the person's life, do you see the characteristics of walking the narrow way that Jesus is describing in Matthew 5 through 7 in that leader's life? If so, then, you know, good tree bears good fruit. If not, well, bad tree bears bad fruit, or bears withered fruit, or doesn't bear any fruit at all, right? Well, I I told you we... We'd end by 
applying this teaching to something that is, has been in the news a lot recently that I know has been on some of your minds a lot, and that's this idea of how can we apply what Jesus is talking about here to avoid abusive pastors? It seems like, I think most of you kind of know what I'm talking about when I talk about abusive pastors. Either you've experienced it yourself, you've seen it in the news, um, you've been to a church where this has been the case, and it just seems like it's everywhere. And if you haven't heard about pastors being abusive, then, I mean, you know, God bless you. I hope you never experience that. I hope that this text helps you never experience that. But, I mean, there have been so many people in the past, I mean, it's come to light more in the past 10 or 20 years. Really, I think it's been, I mean, ever since Jesus' time, really, this has been a constant issue in, in the church. And it's been over and over again, it feels like you, you get these men who just have phenomenal gifting. I mean, just phenomenal gifting. They can, they can preach and just hold people in the, in the palm of their hand. That they can preach and fill up, fill up stadiums for people to come listen to them. They can make you laugh just like a stand-up comedian. You know, they have amazing leadership skills. They have this infectious, charismatic personality where, where you're like, I don't care where that guy's going, I want to be with him. They have these amazing gifts and these amazing talents and abilities. But then, a few years later, a report comes out, oh, they were actually sexually assaulting people left and right. type of fruit do you see? Or it comes out, yeah, they were treating their staff team, they were acting like a slave driver with their staff team. They were being arrogant. They were full of themselves. They were lying and cheating to try to build a bigger platform for themselves. They were spreading lies about other people. People had tried to address something in their life and they just refused and refused and refused to believe that they would be the one in the wrong. And it's just devastating, isn't it? And I would say, especially for you, if you're here and you're not yet somebody who's like, yes, I'm on the narrow way, I'm following Jesus, kind of rain or shine. I would guess for you, I mean, it's gotta be so discouraging when you see that. And that's gotta just feel like, well, I, I mean, I guess... I guess this Jesus thing just isn't really true. I mean, look at that guy. He said he was a guy and he drove off a cliff. What does it look like to apply this teaching to avoid being victimized by abusive pastors? Well, here's what I'll say. If we're going to learn to identify and avoid abusive pastors who are, that is one type of, of a false teacher or a fake guide. They might be preaching the right theology, but if they're not walking the narrow way themselves, they're not leading you the way you should go. If we're going to learn to identify and avoid abusive pastors, this is the way I'll say it. We need to stop being talent scouts and start being fruit inspectors. 
We need to stop being talent scouts and start being fruit inspectors. What does a talent scout do? A talent scout trying to find the next rock star. I want to find the smartest, you know, most, well, whatever the skills I'm looking for, I'm looking for the just, you know, 100 out of 100 in those skill categories. You don't want them to be a jerk. You don't want them to have no character. Everybody hates them. But you're, you're, looking, for, you're looking for those skills. And um, so, for example, what could that look like? In, in the church, I think sometimes, and maybe this is, I felt this way before, maybe you felt this way before, when you kind of examine a church or the pastor, is this person somebody I want to follow, we tend to ask questions like, could I see this person being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company? And if the answer is yes, well, that's somebody I want to follow. I feel safe with that person. That organization is going to succeed. Or maybe we ask a question like, would this person be able to fill up a stadium if they were a stand-up comedian? Oh, yeah, people love listening to them. They don't know what they're saying, but they just, you know, they have, you have such a great time. The time just flies by. They're so entertaining. You have so much fun. Again, we're being talent scouts, not fruit inspectors. Not that those things are bad. There's lots of, I mean, from everything I've heard, Billy Graham and many others who filled up stadiums like nobody's business, they, they had tremendous Christian character. Right? So I'm not saying that it's bad to be able to do that or have those gifts. But what I'm saying is that how much longer are we going to keep falling for this? Because it seems like, it seems like to me, you know, we, we get burned, we get abused, Something crumbles, this ministry that we really loved and really had put our hopes in just kind of comes crumbling down. This person that we thought was helping us ends up, you know, biting us like a wolf. But part of me wonders, I mean, the next time there's some Christian rock star who looks really cool and has all those gifts that I was talking about comes along, are we just going to flock to him? I mean, history would say we... We, we probably are. And what Jesus is saying is that he knows that's human nature, but he's trying to get you to wise up and to not do that. Because when that person does turn and, oh, what do you know? They were a narcissistic, arrogant person. And, and honestly, in a, lot of, in a lot of the situations, it's not as if that was like out of left field it's not as if in some of these situations you would have never seen that coming. It's not as if, you know, that person just seemed to be the most meek, humble, non-judgmental, merciful person. And then all of a sudden something just, just switched and they were a completely different person. Very often, you look at the person, you say, well, they had these amazing gifts and they had halfway decent character, so we kind of just overlooked all the stuff that we heard about because after all, they're doing so much good for the kingdom, right? Don't be a talent scout. Be a fruit inspector. A fruit inspector isn't just looking for, could this person be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company? A fruit inspector says, what fruit do I see in this person's life? What fruit do I see in this person's life? When I look at this person, when I listen to this person, 
when I spend time with this person, what do I see in this person's life? Do I see a life that's consistent with the narrow way that Jesus is describing in Matthew 5 through 7? Let me give you an example. You know, on this process, in this process, if you start applying this as you're looking for spiritual guides and teachers, you might notice some people that you have been following or you have been listening to, you have been learning from, that, like, you know, I don't know that I should keep following this person because they say some things that are true, and every time I listen to them, they're super entertaining, but I don't see the fruit of the narrow way in their life. Let me give you an example. I was, um, there's this one preacher a number of years ago that I love to listen to, and this is one of those guys, again, he, he would have been a rock star at whatever he did. I mean, he could just, he could have sold snow to an Eskimo or whatever that expression is. I mean, he was just charismatic, this super awesome leader. He could have done anything he wanted. But after a while, as I was listening to him, I noticed, you know, it seems like, and there's lots of good theology in there, but it seems like the theme of most sermons that I listen to from this person is, look at me being awesome for Jesus. You should come be like me so you can be awesome for Jesus too. Wow, it doesn't seem like somebody who's poor in spirit. And I noticed too, not only the fruit I saw in that person, the fruit I see in myself as I was listening to that person. This one particular preacher, he loved to call out people that he thought had bad theology or people that he thought were, were hypocrites or people that he thought were, were, were bad in some type of a way. He loved to just kind of mock people and make fun of people. And it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. It was entertaining because a lot of times he'd be talking about people in society that were doing things the Bible says not to do, and it kind of felt like there's this, this sense in, in, in me as I was listening to him where I was kind of like, yeah, get them. Look at those people over there. They're so ridiculous. But what I noticed in myself, the fruit that was coming out of me is I started to be this angry person where it felt like I was just so eager to have somebody do something wrong in front of me so I could, you know, be the, I could be the hammer for Jesus, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says, take out the plank in your own eye and then you'll see clearly to gently and meekly and mercifully and lovingly take out the speck from your neighbor's eye. And so I'm not saying that person's not a Christian. I'm not saying that, they're, that, that they haven't done good for the kingdom of God, but I'm saying that's somebody that I identify by the fruit that was in their life and in my life from being affected by them. And I said, this is somebody I need to, I need to avoid this person. On the other hand, there was this guy that I knew when I was in China. This guy was an Australian missionary. And he was a good teacher. He was a good teacher. He was very effective at helping you understand God's word, knowing how it applied to your life, giving examples, all that type of stuff. He was a, he was a, he was a good teacher. But this guy was never going to fill stadiums. This guy was never going to write a best-selling book. He was not that infectious personality where 
everybody just wanted to be his best friend and like, oh my gosh, whatever he does, regardless of whether it's following Jesus or something else, he would just gather this following around him. He wasn't, he wasn't gifted like that. But the more I spent time around him, I just noticed the life of somebody who was totally walking the narrow way. For example, I remember this one time we were at this meeting. It was a meeting to plan this big event that we were doing. And he was the main teacher. And there's probably about 15 people in this room, and it's super chaotic, and we're planning with the talking. Students are coming, and we're going to do this, these events for these students. And we're trying to figure out some details of certain things, and people are just talking left and right, and we've got tons of stuff we need to cover. And people are starting to get kind of worked up, and he says, and this guy stops everybody, and he says, you know, gosh, we really just need to pray. We really need to pray. And one of the other guys says, oh, yeah, yeah, let's, let's pray. Good idea, John. Let's pray. Would you pray for us? He said, no, that's not what I mean. We need to spend like the next 30 minutes praying. We need to pray for most of our meeting <laughs> because it doesn't matter what the heck we come up with. If the Holy Spirit's not working, nothing we do is going to matter at all. And he did, and he led us in prayer, and we all kind of like, hey, John, we have this list of things we need to get to, but he was on his knees praying, asking God, praying for these students by name and praying for us by name. And I was like, that's a guy who's poor in spirit. That's a guy who is fully convinced he ain't got this, but God's got this. That's, that's the type of fruit of somebody who's walking the narrow way. So that's somebody maybe I wouldn't have been even incredibly attracted to before, but I see the fruit in his life, and so I move towards him. Well, let me just close with this, and Ben, you guys can, can, uh, can come up if you, if you haven't come up already. Which are you? Are you a talent scout? Or are you a fruit inspector? It's possible that if you find, you, you keep trying to learn, you keep falling after different leaders, but you're still just not seeing as much fruit as you would like to see in your own life. Maybe it's because you've been a talent scout instead of a fruit inspector. Maybe what you need to do is identify somebody in your life, a teacher, a, a pastor, a friend, a life group leader, a family member who you're like, man, I just see this person oozing with the fruit of the Spirit, with the fruit of the narrow way in their life. And just spend more time around that person. Are you a talent scout or a fruit inspector? Well, I, the last thing I'll say is this, that, you know, going back to that image of, of us in that rickety old van going up that, that winding road that, you know, we're about to fall off on the cliff and, you know, wondering, oh my gosh, is this guy kidnapping us or what's he doing? You're not that helpless when it comes to choosing who you're going to trust and who you're going to follow as a disciple of Jesus. Number one, because he's given us instructions to tell the good guys are wearing red shirts and the bad guys are, stuff like that. He's giving us instructions to know how to distinguish but secondly, and this is the most important thing, you're not by yourself. 
that Jesus has put his Holy Spirit inside of you, and you can ask him as you follow him, as you follow Jesus, you can ask him, Jesus, is this somebody you think I should spend more time with? Jesus, who is somebody you want me to listen to more? Who is somebody you want me to spend more time with? And he'll show you because he's right there in the van with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. Thank you for coming to lead us. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here with me today. Father, whoever among us, and just in your church as a whole, but in this church too, God, I pray that those of us who are walking on the narrow way that are full of the fruit of a Christ-like life, I pray that those brothers and sisters, that you would just raise them up. Give them more and more influence so that we can learn from them. And God, I pray, would you give us discernment? Any false teachers, any wolves that are in your church today, I pray that you would destroy them and chase them away and give your people the wisdom to stay away from them. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.